that's a growler. Hi, and welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, a podcast where we analyze and theorize about Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 film, one minute at a time. My name is Janae. And I'm Bobby. And we are excited to once again have Rick and Julia join us from the Mad Max Minute. Well, thank you for having us. We're very happy to be back. So we're going to kick today's episode off with where it starts. So LeFou getting a mouthful of leaves and ending with Gaston saying, my latest kill, very enticingly to Belle. <laughs> so <laughs> who would like to start us off okay um so the first note that i had was that we start this minute and we get a look at this wedding scene wedding party i guess that gaston has set up and this is a legit wedding party i mean over on the left we got the baker who we already met before but he's got a four layer you know four tier wedding cake that's decked out it's got the the big old I forget what it's called but the little decoration thing with the bride and the groom on top and they've got a little gazebo type deal there for them to get married under red carpet wine you know table they got food a band this is this is no small endeavor that he put together relatively relatively quickly yeah this spread is immaculate like I yes. don't understand a how they could get all of this together so quietly and b <laughs> Like, how Gaston could get this together. Because we learn later on, every you know, his he uses antlers in all of his decorating, which means that he didn't decorate this. He hired someone to decorate it, I'm assuming. No, LeFou did this all. Oh, this that's is all. That's what I was wondering. This, I was like, did LeFou do it? That's what I think. I think LeFou did all of this. Who needs a wedding planner when you have LeFou? I was literally, like, going through his, like, cake, check. Band, check. Minister, check. Wedding arch, check. Red carpet, check. Decorations, check. Booze, check. I mean, we just, they have everything. And it's kind of, okay, have you guys seen, do, do any of you watch Gilmore Girls? <laughs> I, no, a little bit. I can't say I did. I have, okay. I have seen some of it. <laughs> okay, well, do, okay. God. Okay, it would be easier if you guys knew what I was talking about, but... There is a character in there who just, his name is Kirk, and he basically is just the jack of all trades, does everything in town, doesn't do it well, but he literally does everything in town. And in the very, very last episode of the new Netflix version ones that came out where they like are finally getting married, Kirk was in charge of decorating the town for Lorelai's wedding. That's finally happening. And she was like, oh, just leave it the holiday decorations for the fall festival. And he literally turned the whole town into Alice in Wonderland world. And it's like insanely gorgeous. And you're like, what? I feel like it's that exact same thing where it's like, LeFou, what? What are you doing? Where did this come from? Where did this come from? (laughs) Yes. But also, about that cake, I saw that and I was like, wow, that is a huge cake. But they did have big cakes like that back then. And it was 
in sort of the Baroque period. So an elaborately decorated cake maybe wouldn't necessarily have had that style of cake topper, but it wasn't that far off. Yeah, now that you mention it, that cake is ginormous. Yeah, it's like four sheet cakes stacked on each other. That cake could feed, let's see... Our cake was four tiers, and it fed 150. But it was, like, narrow. But it was narrow. Yeah. Right. So I'm <laughs> There's guessing... nowhere near enough people there to eat that much <laughs> cake. I'm guessing that cake could feed at least 200 people. Yeah. There's, like, what, seven people standing there? Like, right, hold on. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, including well, maybe... Belle, Gaston, and LeFou, that's, like, 15 people. Like, <laughs> is the rest of the town just waiting in the wing for someone to, like, come around like, oh, yeah, she said yes, the wedding's actually happening. Like, uh-huh. a lot of these people that are working today, like, they better have, like, a really good deposit system because <laughs> who in their right mind would go through all this trouble for something that might not really happen? Like, you got to have a down payment on that. Okay, I have a theory about this. <laughs> it's a small theory. But, okay, so he says, now all I gotta do is go in there and propose to the girl. And he says it like it's this joke. And so I wondered, does everybody actually think he's joking? <laughs> because they, because the way they all respond, they're like, ha ha ha, you're so funny. Yeah. Are they laughing at him or with him? <laughs> I think that they are laughing because they think they're laughing with him, but they don't realize that he actually hasn't proposed. That's what I think. <laughs> So he's been going around town telling everybody that this is definitely happening. She's already said yes. All I have to do is get her from the house. Cause when... Oh, my gosh. Also, I wondered, okay, so is this the same day that her dad left? Does anybody have any? No, this is the because, next day. Because at first I thought when I first was watching this, I always thought it was the same day for some reason. And I was like, man, no wonder the baker is just like, Hello, Belle. And he's like, I'm busy. I don't have time for you because he was working on her cake. So he thinks he's being all clever. Oh, hello, Belle. Working on your wedding cake, but I better not surprise this. Marie, the baguettes. Hurry up. We don't have time for you, Belle. Run along. We got the the secret. I wonder if the cake is so big because they just filled it with baguettes to make it more voluminous. (laughs) You cut it into bread. That sounds delightful. I would eat it. Just bread covered in frosting? Yeah. Especially if it was like a buttercream. Yeah. Because, I mean, what goes better? Yeah. So, (laughs) anyway, so funny. I did have a question about the townspeople who were there, especially the ones who, like, laughed with him like they were humoring him. Right. Why are they there? My theory was that they're getting paid. That's why they're there. Yeah. Well, in the movie version, here's something interesting. In the movie version, during Gaston's song, LeFou is, like, slipping people coins during the song, basically, to get them to help him cheer Gaston up. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Does LeFou secretly have a lot of money? I do not know. (laughs) But... I mean, LeFou in the new movie is a very different character than LeFou in our movie, so we have to be careful that we don't you know, start to get ahead of ourselves because they're different. But 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. It, maybe your theory is not that far off. I was like, it would make sense, like, if LeFou is some sort of rich kid, and he has a lot of money, and he wants to pal around with the big strong guy, you know, yeah, he'd be like a little toady. But if he's got a lot of money, <laughs> that makes sense why Gaston would keep him around, other than just having a lackey. Hmm. Well, we did talk a few episodes ago. That's a good point. That is a good point. We did talk a few episodes ago about how Gaston probably actually was pretty popular because um, he was probably the one who he had the gun. He protect. There were lots of laws about guns during that time period, and he was probably the one who protected the town from wild beasts, from wolves, from. All those things, he probably was the gamekeeper for the town who provided meat for all of them. So we have discussed a little bit how he probably could have been fairly popular. So that's a possibility as well. Something that I thought was funny also was those floozy girls. Um, I just want to talk about them for a second because they are standing there, and I never had noticed it before, but they're standing by the table that has like the bottles of wine or whatever on it. And then there's like this rack of bottles sitting behind the table next to them, which is first of all, just more proof that they do work at the tavern. And second of all, those poor things when they just ball their eyes out because he's getting married to someone else. They can't take a hint. He's just not into them. Well, I forgot that we'd, uh, that we decided they worked at the tavern because I was going to say, it's kind of funny that they're there and they're so sad that they are camped out at the wine table and they're just going <laughs> to spend the whole wedding there drinking wine. <laughs> that is convenient, isn't it? But I think, I think they got to work at the tavern. That's the only thing that really makes sense. Yeah. The, I mean, otherwise there's, yeah, they're glutton yeah, for point. punishment. The Beauty and the Beast wiki that I read today not only mentioned their names, which I did not care to memorize. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they each have names and they, according to the wiki, do work at the tavern. Like, that's their job. They are the servers that bring stuff around. Well, that makes a lot of sense because they're all wearing the same thing in different color. Mm -hmm. um, I assumed that they were there at the wedding, like, um, catering. So they're probably yeah. there, like, catering slash bartending. Right, they're providing all of the wine and stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. it, that never occurred to me before, that they work. I the can't believe they have names, Yeah, but um. the Beast doesn't have a name, aside from the Beast. Oh. <laughs> well, his Just is, saying. I always like think of his real name as Robbie Benson. Like, that's his non-beast name. <laughs> that's Robbie. his non-beast name. <laughs> yeah. When he's a prince, his name is Robbie. Yes. I can go with that. Yeah. Now, he does, I think, in the, the general Beauty and the Beast lore, the prince does have a name. He does. He does. I think it's, um, there's an official video game that Disney put out or something that they called him Adam. So, there is that. It's just not in the movie. It's, yeah, it's not in the movie. Okay, speaking of names, Claudette is wearing the red dressed. Lorette is wearing the amber dress, and Paulette is wearing the green dress. <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course. Yep. Those are their names. Yep. I love it. Uh, okay, also the band. How does Belle not hear that band? <sighs> oh my goodness, this is in my notes. It's got stars all around it. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, we talked about plot holes a little bit yesterday. None Just of a the teeny one. typical plot holes about this movie bother me at all. This one bothers me. How did yeah. she how did she not know this was all happening right outside her door? She was busy reading. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> That's the only thing I can come up with. I'm like, how did you not hear Here Comes the Bride, which, by the way, wasn't written until 1850 by a German composer, Richard Wagner. So oh. that's a, a bit of a misstep, <laughs> but we still love you, Disney. We still love this movie, but that was not. That's a history slam. <laughs> Just saying. Well, because I was listening to it, and it's it's such a modern thing to me. So I was like, when was that written? Is it really that old? But it's just a little off. Just a couple years. Yeah. It occurs to me that <clears throat> we've been led to form an opinion about Belle, that she is smart, that she has opinions, and that she thinks for herself but I don't think it reflects well upon her that she is so absorbed in her books that she doesn't hear what's going on around her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think part of an explanation for that might be that she's used to living with Maurice. And we kind of see and when we go into the into the house that the upstairs area where she's reading is much nicer. You know, everything's taken care of. Pretty much everything has a place. And his inventions haven't really worked too much into the upstairs. So that's kind of her territory that she takes care of. And I'm guessing that's where she spends most of her time while he's tinkering, you know, in the basement and blowing stuff up. So maybe she puts cotton in her ears or maybe she's just used to ignoring all the ambient sounds while she dives into her books. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, once again, I come back to that image of when Gaston stupidly points his gun directly at Belle, stating that that's who she, he's going to marry. <laughs> Just saying, gun safety people. Um, don't point guns at people, especially girls you want to marry. Um, <laughs> but she's not paying any attention to the lady who's, like, putting stuff in her basket that she's buying. She's just reading her book, ignoring her. So, I mean, that is something that I'm like, come on, pay a little attention. But she's she it's good that she's not perfect because in reality, that makes her all the more awesome and all the more realistic. Because as real people, we have flaws and things like that. So it makes her all the more relatable. Yes. So one of the things that uh, that I liked a lot was as we get our first view of Belle in the house reading the book, the position that she's sitting in to read. I have like countless hours logged in that position while reading a book. <laughs> she's yep. like sitting in the chair sideways with her legs over the arm. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's somebody, so somebody that's modeled like, that. That didn't just come out of somebody's head. That is probably the most uncomfortable chair to do it in, though, because it's yeah. like hard wood. <laughs> And I always sit in, like, cushiony wingback chairs like that, or, like, a sofa chair or something, not a hard wooden chair. <laughs> Looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the detail they put in where she's actually got a pillow draped over the arm that she's leaning against. So mm-hmm. it's like, even Belle realizes that this is probably not the best chair she could be lounging in, but, you know, it's the middle she's of the day, so she should be lounging in a chair and not, you know laid out on a couch or anything like that. That's never stopped me when I was reading during the day. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) I'll I'll make a note of that for the future. (laughs) Um, Okay, so 
we'll we'll see tomorrow um that she was kind of in the middle of something when she when she stopped to read so i don't know how long she's been there but she definitely just kind of stopped what she was doing and picked up her book for a quick second that might have turned into a several hour uh reading session (laughs) one way you can definitely tell that this is a fantasy story because the way she's sitting on that chair like you run the risk of your legs falling asleep, so we miss out on her trying to stand up and then <laughs> discovering that her legs are asleep and doing like one little like wobble walk. Shake them out and. <laughs> okay. Oh, I got the tingles. Hold on. That's so funny. Okay, so she gets up and she goes over to the door to respond to the knock on the door, and she's just like, "La di da, somebody's at the door," and then she pulls down this contraption thing. Oh. To look out. Word. (laughs) So Uh. that in and of itself, I know Bobby is going to have a comment about that contraption because he (laughs) always does have something about those. (sighs) So what do you got to say about that, first of all? Yeah. So this thing has bothered me from the earliest that I can remember watching this movie. Because even as a child, that thing does not make sense. (laughs) Like, But it looks so cool. With the technology they have. It looks cool, but it would not work. You, the you'd have to have you. It, it couldn't work. You have to have like straight shots with mirrors for some kind of a periscope thing to work, and uh, that has just always bugged me so much. Because like, unless he's got like some kind of electronics with a little screen in that viewer, there's no way that thing makes any sense. I can't explain it. I tried. Yeah, this contraption is classically indicative of Maurice's penchant for overcomplication in his designs. <laughs> like literally. All he needed to do was put a <laughs> hole in the door and put a little mirror focusing thing in it. Yeah. Like, that's a peephole. You that's know. what we do in the 21st century anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little piece of glass and put it in a hole. Don't You don't have to do a whole, you know, periscope down situation. Although, Belle using this periscope, A, gives us awesome animated fisheye effect, which is not something you usually yes. see. But at the same time... And I hope I'm not rushing through this periscope thing, but it gives us probably the most epic eye roll and classic yes! in all of animated yes! cinema. <laughs> I took still shots of that because I was like, oh my gosh. Because, okay, I'm pretty sure every girl has had, I'm sure guys too, have had that moment where you just see that person and you're just like, oh. Like, her eyes Why? roll so much that she practically and that falls eye over. eye roll. She's just like, oh, again. How long has he been trying to get her affections? It kind of indicates that maybe he's been trying for a while. Even though, like, the day before seems like the first time he's announced that he's wants to marry her. I don't know. It makes me wonder, okay, how long has he been tailing her? Maybe he has set up this wedding, this surprise wedding, <laughs> as, like, a last-ditch effort. Like, he's been putting all of this effort into courting Belle, and she's not having any of it, so he's going to do this grand gesture, and maybe this will convince her. Uh, That's giving him way too much credit, but just saying. Well, Gaston is the kind of guy that would jump on a message board and complain about being (laughs) friend-zoned. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay, so I watched, um, do you, have you guys seen any of the Super Carlin Brothers videos on YouTube? Yes. Okay. I, I love them, first of all. all of them. <laughs> I love them, first of all. I wish they could come on our podcast. Oh, that would be amazing. I would die. So I was watching their 
analysis or review of the new Beauty and the Beast, and it was pretty funny because they were talking about how Gaston, up to the point that he like decides that he's gonna turn against Maurice, which I won't say anything else about because I don't want to give it away, but he is doing all the right things. And he seems to be like there's this moment where he's like she has this certain thing. What is it? And Lafu is like dignity. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Gaston is like yes, it's so attractive. And I mean, it's it. They make a point that there are these things that he is noticing in Belle that he's attracted to the right things. So I mean, it's. Gaston, it's just I go back and forth each day between whether I think he's actually smart or whether he's just completely a doofus head or something. I don't know, but he's special. He's problematic <laughs> in my book. <laughs> Gaston is a really interesting villain because yes, he's not a villain because of who he is. He's, right. Yeah, he's arrogant, egotistical. Those things, they don't make you the villain. He's a villain because of the choices that he makes. Right. And, you know, up up to a certain point, his choices may not be smart, but they're not horrid. They're not harmful. Mm-hmm. He's just, mm-hmm. they're, he's just foolish. Mm. Right. But that doesn't make he's, him the villain. It kind of makes yeah. you wonder, right. who is more foolish, the fool or LeFou who follows the fool? Ooh. <laughs> Don't give me that look, Julia. I'm just waiting for you to laugh at your own joke. <laughs> no, I t- <laughs> trying to change. Uh, uh, also, can we take a moment to appreciate that she does not open the door for him and she doesn't yell through the door for him to come in. He just opens the door and yeah. appears before her. I had never yeah. noticed that until today. Yes. And if anybody has the minute up in front of them, does the door open in or out? Oh, it opens. It opens out. Like he pulls okay. it open. Front doors he pulls are supposed it open? to open out. Front doors are supposed to open in. Um, hold on. Exit doors in public buildings. That's the rule for public buildings. So whoever building. whoever put on that front door was probably like a public contractor who was used to like public <laughs> like taverns and things. Right. They, they open out so if there's a fire, people don't get trapped. Right. But front doors on residential units open in. That way you can barricade against forceful entry. Ooh. Wow. Okay, I just thought it was because it was more welcoming. <laughs> <laughs> Learn something new every day. Yes, so you can barricade yourself. That's cool. Okay. Today on 99% Invisible. Right. Well, and we're going to see we're going to see it in the next minute that the that door is rather special in the way that it functions. It's not necessarily an in or out door as Yeah. <laughs> So before we move away from the door, I would like to point out something I really appreciated about Belle, that she uses Maurice's contraption to check who, see who's outside, even though Maurice isn't there to see her. So she's not humoring Maurice. She genuinely sees him as a genius. So that yes, even when I she's alone, that. she uses his, his contraptions. Well, I think he's the only other person in... I mean, even though he's not necessarily as socially aware as she is, he's the only other person aside from maybe the bookseller who is on the same intellectual level as she is. So aside from him and the bookseller, she 
probably doesn't really have anyone else that she respects or looks up to the same way that she probably does to her father. So yeah, I love that. Well, and his contraption would work a lot better if she had locked the door being home alone um, so that he couldn't have just opened the door and come in anyway. I was like, times were different back in 1770 or whenever this was supposed to be. People didn't used to lock their doors and kids would come home when the streetlights come on at night. You know, it was a different time. (laughs) Life was simpler. Uh, So he continues on. He just barges in and... uh, One of my favorite moments is that he's, like, explaining to her how all of her dreams have come true. And then he starts to say, he, like, so he starts to lean in and you see his reflection in the mirror next to him. And he starts to say, this is the day. And he pauses, notices his reflection and turns to look at his reflection and check his teeth. And then when he is happy or satisfied with his teeth he turns back and he says ah this is the day all your dreams come true and i was just like okay let's just pause in the middle of this proposal to check our teeth okay this moment right here is the moment where i'm like disney missed a golden opportunity of casting bruce campbell to be the voice of gaston because bruce campbell has built his career on just being the handsome guy with the nice voice and the huge chin like (laughs) i was on the minute of darkness podcast a while back where we were talking about army of darkness and ash who is the character bruce campbell plays is just as full of himself as gaston is and he's got that same kind of physicality to it and it's like oh that would have been great because he's got such an iconic voice it would have been really nice to hear that but i can see why they went with robbie benson or not robbie benson he does um beast um he they went with did i not write it down i didn't write it down i'm, I'm bad at taking notes <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i've written it down in a different piece of paper somewhere so i don't have it in front of me either <laughs> the only thing i really know about gaston's voice actor is that he's spent a lot of time playing gaston's voice And not a lot of time doing much else. (laughs) He actually does look a lot like... I mean, not a lot like his character, but he is fantastic. I think that he is so great. Trying to look up who it is. Richard White. Richard White. Thank you. I was like trying to look it up. I'm like, where is it? He just has this larger-than-life voice. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, can we talk again about the book and Gaston's complete disregard for books? Oh, yeah. (sighs) So he just puts his dirty, muddy, gross feet up on that book, which, first of all, rude. Second of all, (laughs) dirt again. Third of all, was he raised in a barn? Yeah, he left the front door wide open. Oh, well. (laughs) Animals could get Yes, there's that. (laughs) Yes, there's that. But also, who puts their feet on the dinner table? Okay. I mean, I used to get in trouble for putting my elbows on the table. I, I love this little clip because Belle's like, what do you know about my dreams? And he's like, picture this. And then the next shot we get are his boots slamming down on top of her book, just covered in filth. And I love the visual of this because it's metaphorical and it's also literal at the same time. Like his ideal picture for her is him literally stomping on her escapist media on her dreams and it's so such a good example of show don't tell like he is going to Hmm. 
put her under his thumb for the rest of her life. It's hor- a horrifying idea. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that throughout this whole thing, well, one, he's definitely very aggressively pursuing her. He basically stalks her throughout the room until he gets her in a corner. And so that's very indicative of how he perceives her. He, She is something, a prize to be won, a something to be captured. And so that's one thing. But also she somehow keeps this polite facade in front of him the whole time. And I mean, she says the pleasantries, how are you doing? Or I can't remember everything she says, but she does the small talk and smiles while he's talking, even if it's just like, I don't know, pity smile. But I think it's interesting that she does that. And one of my thoughts was, no wonder he doesn't really get that she's not into him. She is being so super polite, which is obviously how she's raised. But and it's a good thing to be. But I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, there, there's a fine line. And I, I couldn't possibly tell you exactly where it is. But, you know, being a decent human being, you're nice to people, even when you epically eye roll before you open the door for them <laughs> or they open the door mm-hmm. for themselves you're still you, you you're still nice to people because you're a good person but on the other hand she needs to lay it down for him which she does mm-hmm. eventually but up till that point she's not making it clear to him that she doesn't want him in the house she's not interested in his advances if he has been trying to court her for some time and she's been being pleasant and polite to him this entire time no wonder he's not getting the point exactly exactly what i was thinking i was like you you have to you can still be clear about your intentions and how you think and feel while being polite there are polite ways to do that well and sometimes you you have to not be polite. My wife and I, we do a dating podcast called the LDS Dating Podcast. And we've we've had that question uh, that we've talked about before is, you know, what do you do when somebody just doesn't get the hint that uh, that you're not interested? And sometimes you have to try to be nice and, and just talk to them and let them know that it's not going to happen. And, and sometimes you just stop being nice and <laughs> tell them straight up to go away and leave you alone. <sighs> Yes, we won't get into my stories about that. <laughs> that reminded me of a specific instance where I experienced something like that, and it was very interesting. Well, the the last note that I have for this minute is actually from our, our researcher, Sally, and it's about Gaston's tie, which apparently is like completely wrong for the time period. Um, she said that he should be wearing a cravat, which I'm not really sure what that is, but apparently it's not what he's wearing. <laughs> and that the style of tie that he is wearing uh, wasn't seen till the Victorian age, and it was more popular in the American West than anywhere else. So not quite the right tie there, Gaston. I was going to say, his tie does kind of look more like something out of a Western movie. Or something out of a Colonel Sanders car- uh, commercial. <laughs> yes, Colonel Sanders commercial, <laughs> yes. But um, a cravat is more like, kind of more like a scarf, but it's tied to have kind of more like a necktie, if that makes sense. It's like a necktie, but it's of a scarf. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and sometimes they have little embellishments in them, like a pearl right, right. or something. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know those things. Is it the same is the tie that he's wearing here the same tie that he was wearing previously when we first met Gaston because I feel like he's definitely more dressed up. I mean, he's wearing white tights rather than <laughs> black ones. 
But I think everything he's wearing is practically the same except for fancier, right? I thought in the opening song he's got his open collar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't recall that he was wearing a tie. Okay, I couldn't remember. I say we weren't here for that minute. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't remember everything that you haven't done? When we first meet him, he's wearing a red shirt with like an open collar and uh his black pants and boots. So this is definitely his fancy wear oh. that he's got on. Yep. Right, because he had his chest hair sticking out the top of his yeah. shirt. <laughs> well, it sounds like that's about all we've got for today, right, everybody? Yep. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. We are so glad to have you guys with us from the Mad Max Minute, Rick and Julia. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? So if people are will- interested in checking us out, our website is madmaxminute.com. They can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, like us on Facebook, and check out our listeners page, which is Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. And if you would like to get a hold of us, you can find us on growlermedia.com, as well as at Beastly Minute on Facebook, as well as on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, and... <laughs> Until tomorrow, don't open your door unless you're prepared to be proposed to. Our theme music is by Duo Hansen. Something is really different on a growler.